This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Keeping it simple is usually a good thing. And when it comes to rewards programs, keeping it simple is always a good thing. That's why we made the Napa Rewards program effortless. All you need is your phone number to start saving on the parts and tools you need. Then we automatically give you $5 off your next purchase for every 100 you spend. So start saving today with Napa Rewards. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Finsider Radio. I am your host, Matthew Kanata. I'm joined by Sutton and House. And of course, behind the scenes, James McKinney. And that may have been the theme song for the Dolphins on Thursday night when they absolutely bombed, no pun intended, against the Cincinnati Bengals and lost 22-7. to And in retrospect, you know, that doesn't look like a bad score, right? If you looked at the box score after the game or the final score, you're like, all right, you know, they put up a fight. But, man, it was absolutely dreadful. You know, as Simon would say on America's Got Talent or American Idol, it was dreadful. The offense couldn't do anything. The defense was bending but not breaking. And it was just a really painful game to watch. We're going to get a little more into that as we get on through the show tonight. But, you know, to come out like that on Thursday night, you know, you you almost lose against the Browns. And if it wasn't for their field goal kicker being incompetent and being signed at the last second before the game, Dolphins would have lost that game and going 0-3 into Cincinnati. So, so you win that game. You hope you have a little momentum. Okay, the Dolphins pulled it off at home. Now they got to win under the belts. They've always played well against the Bengals. You do have starters out, though, on the offensive line. Brandon Albert out. Mike Pouncey still out. Laremi Tunstall moving to left tackle for the first time this season on a short week. You got Billy Turner going into left guard. You got the third string center, uh, Urbrick, uh, playing, playing in the center position. Juwan James has been absolutely terrible, regressing. And you got. Jermon Bushrod, who you know is a popular guy on this show, moving into right tackle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, there, calm down. So, so you got that miscommunication going on because they haven't really worked together and, and you got a short week. You know, they're not practicing at all, really. They're doing walkthroughs all week to recover. So it's really a tough spot to be in. And I know after the game and during the game, there's a lot of talk on social media about how terrible the Dolphins were. And after the game, too, um, and the day after, the national media, the local media, everybody, 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 everybody just piled on the Dolphins. And more importantly, they just piled on Ryan Tannehill. I mean, guys like Shannon Sharp during the game were tweeting. Uh, Shannon Sharp tweeted something such as, Ryan Tannehill still has a lot of work to do. He's not yet done getting coaches fired. Um, and that stuff was coming out during the game. And these are from national media folks. And I'm not sure if it's just because it was on national television and everybody's watching it or if people are just starting to finally have enough of this team in Ryan Tannehill and, you know, figuring out that they need to do something to, to get over this hump. The good news is that I believe three of the last uh, te- teams that have gotten blown out on Thursday night football have all come back and whooped ass uh, the next Sunday uh, where they played. And, of course, the Dolphins have the Titans this coming Sunday at Hard Rock Stadium. And we know what happened last year when the Dolphins, you know, came back from London and, and beat the uh, Texans, destroyed them at home, and beat the Titans really bad. So we'll see if the Titans can be this year's rebound team or this week's rebound team. Adam Gase seems like he, he fixed a few things during the few days off and found a few flaws with the team, and hopefully he'll address them in practice this week. Uh, Sutton, I know you watched the game, of course. How do you watch the game, of course? McKinney, I know you're not, you're not talking to us. You're, you're bit too busy drinking in the background or doing whatever you do during the show that supposedly you do. Um, but Sutton, what, what was something that stood out to you on the offensive side of the ball during this game against the Cincinnati Bengals? Uh, the imbalanced play calling yet again. Um, each game, it seems like we become more one-dimensional than the game before, and I just don't know how we keep arriving at this point, you know, considering the fact that we opened the game the way that we did. Uh, we struck fast, and um, we would seem to have the defense off balance at that point in time, but we just weren't able to establish that run game enough, and we end up with 13 rushing attempts and 32 passing attempts. That's just not the kind of play distribution that we need to have with the personnel that we have. Um, so that was a, a pretty disheartening thing to see on offense, and it makes sense considering the fact that we, after that uh, nice play to Kenny Stills, although he almost dropped it again. I don't know if anybody saw that, but it almost squeezed between his arms again. But thankfully for him, he he held on to that one and scored the touchdown. But uh, after that, the offense was just completely flat. Um, can't get any momentum going. Can't get any first downs going. Third downs killed us yet again. And you just have to wonder – you know, if we're going to struggle so much on third down, how are we going to be able to manifest any kind of offense this year? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do like what Drake and Ajayi did in the run game. Uh, granted, they had limited uh, chances carrying the football, but I, I do think they both uh, showed some more promise than they had in weeks prior. Um, for me, it would have had to be uh, Laramie Tunsil at left tackle all before this before the season started, I was pretty high on him, and I thought maybe he should start at left tackle. I even went on uh, the radio. Kevin gave me an opportunity. I went on there and said that he might be our best offensive lineman. And, I mean, it, d- it did look that way. Um, yeah, granted, Pouncey was out and Albert was out. But, I mean, Tunsil, he looked like a natural at left tackle. 
Um, adding on to that, for me, Tannehill's inability to feel the pressure. I mean, we've all been a fan of Tannehill or rooted for him throughout his uh, professional career, but he, he just doesn't seem to feel the pressure around him. He doesn't step up. He he honestly just sits there patting the football, waiting for. And I and I do understand his receivers. They weren't getting uh they weren't getting in their routes. They were, weren't getting separation on the outside. But uh, Tannehill he needs to he needs to move around, use his legs a little bit more and feel the pressure and try to turn plays that otherwise may be a loss or a sack into, into anything because he just stands back there and just lets the pressure come to him. There was a and lot one of- more thing before, one more thing before it gets to you, MC money. Yeah. Devonte Parker seems to have gotten kind of lost in the offensive shuffle. And I'm wondering yeah. uh, where he's gone to, you know, he had a really good game against the Patriots and then, He's kind of disappeared against the Browns and then last, you know, uh, on Thursday against the Bengals, he's had five catches in the last two games. So I'm wondering what's happening to him. Yeah, and that's kind of been the thing with Devontae Parker, the inconsistency there, because he's still learning how to be a pro. This coming from Adam Gase's mouth and this coming from people I've talked to within the team as well. He has not matured yet to the point where he knows how to carry himself professionally. I know we've touched on this topic before, and I know we're kind of getting off topic here a little bit, but... Um, there's no one really to learn from in that receiver room. Yeah, you had Greg Jennings last year a little bit, but Devontae was injured uh, most of the year, and, you know, he's off getting rehab and, and training and treatment and all that. And, I mean, Jarvis Landry is about a few years older than him, and for Devontae Parker, for someone who's already a little immature to begin with, you know, you're going to look at a guy that's just a little older than you, and you're going, not going to think that that's someone you can model yourself after and look up to. And then you got Kenny Stills, who's, you know – in this offense, just another guy, you know, it is the way it is. And then there's really no one else on that offensive side of that ball in that wide receiver room where Devontae really can look up to. The good news is that they have a receiver coach named Sean Jefferson who played in the NFL, who was quite successful, had a successful career, played for quite a while. So that is helpful to Devontae, but the Dolphins don't really have that veteran presence in that receiver room. So that could definitely be a part of it as the offense as a whole on Thursday night, it was really not much to be proud of. Jarvis Landry got his garbage time stats as usual. I think he had one catch for like seven yards going into the half. Dolphins rotated running backs in and out. And I know Adam Gase said he's going to fix that on Sunday and stick to two or three guys throughout the game, uh, possibly two, and and really just get them into a rhythm. Kenyon Drake, I think, is in the lead. And I know he's a big fan of Isaiah Pete as well. But we'll see if Ajayi can get in some playing time as well, who did show flashes against the Bengals the other evening. The offensive line was a complete disaster, miscommunication all over the place. Guys just not working together, and I guess that's what you can expect on a short week. The quarterback, Ryan Tannehill, was an absolute mess. Um, there's really not anything good I can say about him besides the open, uh, the busted play at the beginning of the game where he recognized it, pulled the pass down, and launched it to Kenny Stills for a 74-yard touchdown. So, you know, that that's the offense in a nutshell. They, they failed to convert third downs over and over again, it was just an abysmal performance, and hopefully the Dolphins can move in the right direction and get that going. If you are on our live thread right now on thefinsider.com, we want to know what you thought about the Dolphins' offense against the Bengals. We're going to move on to the defense in just a second, but we will be um, listen, looking at the thread to see what you have to say about the offense. And while you're at it, you know, talk, tell, us about the, tell us about the defense as well and what you thought about it. And, and we'll be looking at that as we move into the defensive part of the ball. Um, and for me, that defense, you know, Kiko Alonso was all over the place in the run game. He's still struggling to cover tight ends and other wide receivers coming out from the slot. 
and, and we kind of knew that with Kiko Alonso. We knew he was stout against the run, but uh, struggled in coverage. Rashad Jones continued to be an absolute beast. Um, he is one of the best players in the NFL. And because he's on the Dolphins, you know, it's tough that um, he doesn't get the recognition that he deserves. As far as the other guys going, Xavier Howard, I know people are all over him and they're kind of down on him, but I thought he had a decent game. You know, he's a rookie, and rookies generally struggle in the NFL in their first year. Tony Lippett, I think he held his own for the most part. Obviously, you're going up against A.J. Green, and A.J. Green absolutely feasted on the Dolphins secondary. But listen, on a short week, Tony Lippett, I thought, did a pretty good job and showed some promise that he can certainly build on. And Byron Maxwell didn't play a single snap. That shows what the Dolphins now think of him. And moving forward, I doubt we're going to see, you know, Maxwell unless Lippitt really starts slipping up. The Dolphins just have a young group of players they need to keep on improving, and hopefully eventually we'll start seeing that process as we move on into the season. Houts, um, your thoughts on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I mean, I think they played overall pretty well. I think they gave the offense opportunities to come back in this game. Um, like you said, the young corners, I think they played well. Xavier Howard, he's a rookie, so you do expect those mistakes. But for me, he seemed to have a knack for tackling. Uh, every time the receiver caught the pass, he seemed to be right there in their face, laying a nice hit here and there. Lippitt, same thing. I was pretty high on him in the offseason. I think he, he held his own. But for me, it would be the run defense. I feel like every week I'm sitting here and I'm saying that that's the key to the game or this and that. But for me, the run defense really showed up. I think uh, looking at the stats here, since he carried the ball 37 times for 77 yards. So, I mean, the run defense definitely showed up on Thursday and – Hopefully that's something that we continue to see uh, moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, totally agree. The run defense was uh, Im- impressive almost and resilient. And I wasn't sure if uh, that defensive line with the linebacker injuries that we had, I didn't know that we were going to be able to uh, get the pieces in place to be able to assemble any kind of run defense, but we were able to do that. So I was really proud. Um, Neville Hewitt stepped in and, I know he didn't have a great game, but he's a young guy, and we've seen flashes from him, and I I feel like we're at the point we might as well just keep rolling with him and go with him over Jelani Jenkins um, on defense. Jelani Jenkins is going to be, you know, has an expiring contract going to next year. We have five linebackers that are uh, in the last year of their contract, and Neville Hewitt is one of those uh, that we actually have under contract continuing into 2017. So, I think we have to see what we have out of him. Um, yeah, and one thing uh, about Lippitt, Lippitt, like you said earlier, MC Money Lippitt had uh, had some pass deflections there, and I, it just seemed like he was he was kind of ready for the moment. He he had the body language that I liked. What were you gonna say? I was gonna say um, Jelani came limping today at the facility. He's probably not going to be playing on Sunday. And you're right. If 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 Neville's holding up his own, just let him play, let him improve, because I doubt the Dolphins are going to re-sign Jelani after this season just because of his recent injury history. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's injuries, and uh, I, it was 2014, I believe, when he had his his pretty good year, and then since then it's been pretty lukewarm production at best from Jelani uh, on top of the injury stuff. So I think we just have to see what we have in Neville Hewitt. Uh, but like Hout said, the run defense was, was there. I was proud of that. Um, and Kiko Alonso, you guys said it too. Kiko Alonso is flying around a little bit, and I like what I see out of him. Um, 
And it's interesting to see if uh, the the new combination of, of linebackers will um, give us any kind of consistency there, or if it, that was just a flash in the pan. Absolutely, and and hopefully, as we as we all mentioned, hopefully we can see this offense and defense improve as we move into the Titans game on Sunday, and as we move into the season. Uh, over the next, what do we got? We're we're one and three right now. We got. Four games under the belly. You got twelve more regular season games to go. So, so the season is a long time. All hope is not lost. You know, Adam Gates can easily turn things around. They have four games uh, right now at, at home. Obviously, they have that tough Steelers matchup mixed in there, along with the Titans and the Jets and more. But hopefully, the Dolphins can at least go three and one in this stretch. You know, obviously, four and zero oh would be amazing. Do I think they're going to go four and zero? Oh? I don't know. Listen, it's the NFL. The Chiefs started off horrible last year. They won 11 straight to finish off the season. Anything can happen at any given year, any given time. If Adam Gase somehow presses the magic button and everything all of a sudden starts clicking for this offense, the defense has shown some improvement over the first few weeks. Who knows? We'll have to see. And that's what's exciting about, you know, the NFL. It stinks because when, when, you, when your team loses, you have to wait usually a whole week before you see them play again. Baseball is a little different. You don't get pissed off right away when they lose because you know they could take the field the next day. With the NFL, it's, it's a completely different beast. There's, there's time for it to sink in, for you to think about it, for you to analyze the game like we're doing now. And it's just, it's just a tough uh, being a fan of an NFL team and being a diehard fan of an NFL team. And, and you guys listening are diehard fans of, of the Miami Dolphins and maybe another NFL team. Uh, hopefully not the Patriots, uh, although, you know, you guys will have one day where you are just like the Dolphins and the Dolphins are like the Patriots right now. It will come. And for me, you know, being a Dolphins fan, it started in 1995. I was sitting in my cousin's room, uh, his his living room, and, and I said, Keith, uh, what team is going to be good this year? And we had played Madden back then, you know, so I had played Madden, but I wasn't a football fan. I didn't watch football on TV. And he said, hey, the Dolphins are supposed to win the Super Bowl this year. They have a pretty good team. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'm going to become a Dolphins fan. And ever since 1995, I've been a Dolphins fan. And, and as the years have gone by, my fandom has just increased and, and to die hard status. And like I mentioned before, if the Dolphins lose, I, I have a real hard time listening to sports radio, watching any sports shows on TV until a few days after, until they're focusing on the next week of the NFL season. And I know you guys have your stories on being a Dolphins fan. If you're listening on our live thread right now, um, tell us your story about how you became a Dolphins fan. Type it in, and we'll and we'll read it. How Sutton, I'd like to hear how you became Dolphins fans and how we've gotten so miserable to the point where we can't skip away and jump to another team because we're so invested into this team and so loyal. Sutton, what's your story? Oh, my God. Okay, so um, I was born and raised in southeast Ohio. And in 1988, uh, Dan Marino came to Parkersburg, West Virginia, um, which is a hop, skip, and a jump from my house. And uh, he was doing a spread for pony shoes. I don't know if any product of the 80s remembers pony shoes. Um, but he uh, uh, he had this picture. <laughs> Hopefully I can describe this the way it deserves to be described. But he has on white pants and a very Miami Vice type of look to him and has his pony sneakers up on the back of a, a white Corvette 
um, and just revealing how awesome the pony shoes are. Uh, looked a little bit like David Hasselhoff. Anyway, um, I met him when I was five years old, and uh, my my dad was a Dolphins fan at the time, and I have just stuck with the team ever since. I never understood bandwagon fans even as a child. Yeah. I mean, for me, I remember back in first grade, it was 1992, and I had a, a Vinny Testaverde Cleveland Browns uh, trading card that I gave to one of my buddies for an O.J. McDuffie. back from that one, huh? Yeah, I got an O.J. McDuffie card in that trade, and I just remember him being one of my favorite players. And I don't know if at, at a young age maybe it was their logo or their colors or what it was, but, I mean, I grew up, grew up in central Pennsylvania, so I, there were Steeler fans all around, obviously Eagle fans, but for me uh, – Ever since I traded that Vinny Testaverde for O.J. McDuffie, the Miami Dolphins have been by far my favorite football team. I remember O.J. McDuffie. Yeah. I, I had met him at a Dolphins game a few years ago when I went down there for my honeymoon. Uh, we didn't go to a Dolphins game for the honeymoon. Of course, my wife would kill me, but we had went on a cruise, and we were in Miami because we obviously went to the cruise port there and we and we stayed in Miami an extra two days when we got back and went to the Dolphins game and McDuffie and Bowens were sitting right in front of us so I said, awesome. I said I said hi to him you know took a picture and whatnot he was my favorite player in Madden too when I when we were playing that in the early late 90s and and so forth and, and I loved the guy and I was bummed when he had that toe injury that just forced him into retirement and yeah, absolutely you know he was one of those guys kind of like Jarvis Landry always reliable you always yep. knew yeah. through what you get with him and obviously, him and Dan Marino had many great years together. Going back to the live thread, McKinney, uh, who, who is, for some reason is afraid to mute, unmute himself and, and come in on the show. James, I know you're in the background. You're more than welcome Speak to up. unmute yourself and pop in whenever you want. You don't have to sit there on a live thread like you're grounded in the corner, much like Alpha is. Um, we don't let him on the show. James said offense equals poop. Defense equals fairly decent, given that the offense could not stay on the field at all. That is some fantastic analysis. You can keep yourself muted because if you bring that on the show, we'll lose all our listeners. Alpha said the defense did all they could. The offense shit their pants. And I guess that's pretty accurate, Alpha. Thank you for your enlightening analysis, as usual. We are taking your calls throughout the show. If you have anything you want to talk to us about, call us at 347. And I'm laughing because I'm thinking of that dude that's high that calls in every week. <laughs> and I wonder if he's going to call again this week. <laughs> Oh, man. You can call us at 347-326-9461. Again, that's 347-326-9461. Call us. Talk to us. Make sure you're sober. Make sure you're not high. And make sure you just didn't eat a whole bunch of apple pies, and we will be more than gladly talk to you about the Miami Dolphins or anything else that you want to talk about as long as it's not hey, politics. Hey, MC Money, MC Money, I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure we should not alienate the only person who calls us <laughs> for I agree with that. <laughs> so perhaps we should be endorsing marijuana at this point. <laughs> that, is a, that is a great point. That is a great point. He, he is our only caller. He's the only one that calls. <laughs> he is the only one that calls. You're absolutely right. So call, call into this show. We want to talk to you. Come just on, so man. Can, Ask anything. Anything just, at all. Just so we could say we had a caller. I would love to have a caller. <laughs> I'm switching back to the to the board, seeing if anyone's calling in and we got nobody. But, yeah, call us. Again, that's 347-326-9461. If you call and you have Twitter, I'll follow you. How about that? Oh, and I'll, that's a I'll game. Any tweet you want. 
And speaking of Twitter, Miko Grimes is absolutely insane. She went off on another rampage last night against uh, Andrew Abramson of the Palm Beach Post. Uh, posted his cell phone number up on Twitter. Um, absolutely batshit insane. Ooh. That lady is. Yeah, wow. she's, she is nuts. Um, but anyways, we all knew that. All right. Uh, let's look at our live thread, see if we have any questions. How Sutton, what do we have going on? We actually have some questions that are fairly deep, so maybe we should get our shit together and make sure um, we're still able to, you know, think about things. <laughs> get off my flipper, son, with three exclamation points, asks, as it sits right now, what is the team's biggest current need? I was having this discussion with a friend earlier in the week, and he was adamant that Tannehill is the problem. Wait, While you there are several time? obvious holes to fill on the squad, I was hard-pressed to dis- to specify the biggest problem. Arguments could be made for QB, linebacker, offensive line, cornerback, dot, dot, dot. Before you, you answer think? that, before you answer that yeah. I thought you were saying you had friends. I was about to say. I didn't realize that was still part of the question. So everything <laughs> yeah, You have too many damn kids to have friends. So <laughs> everything is, that, yeah. that was kind of a run-on run sentence. I'm not sure if we should answer that. <laughs> Well, uh, that that was probably just my hick way of reading the response. He actually did have pretty good grammar and everything. Yeah, I mean, comma and everything. Get off my foot. Yeah, he's got commas and periods and everything. Nice exclamation yeah. points. It's it's hard to say if Tannehill is a problem. I I think he might be. The the real question is, I think Ryan Tannehill is what he is. I don't think he's ever going to be elite or a light, however you want to say it. I think you can't really teach someone to be elite. Um, they either have it or they don't have it. The question is, can the Dolphins pay Ryan Tannehill $20 million to be a mediocre or above average quarterback and still uh, field enough pieces around him to be a competitive playoff and possible Super Bowl team? That's the real question they need to ask themselves or if they think they can get someone better. Listen, the Dolphins have a top five pick. There are some good quarterback choices they can really look at and see if they want to make that move and, and replace Ryan Tannehill. Uh, next season. Wait, MC Money, um, who have you heard that the word elite is pronounced elite? Yeah, I'm wondering. I would, like to, know, I would like to know where you garnered that information. The same person who told me quarterback was pronounced quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> there, there we go. I, was like, I, I didn't know that was a confusing word, too. Yeah. Well, you guys are jerks for making fun of me and we can just move on to the next question let's proceed yeah i'm going to take this one no i'm cutting you off rob caruth who was one of my first ever followers on twitter okay when i first started that twitter.com account and i had maybe five followers and tom garfinkel retweeted my tweet saying this was when i was under fin maniacs and tom garfinkel retweeted me because i was a new website and Rob Cruz was one of the first ones, and he still follows me to this day. So I'm going to take this question from you guys. So Rob asks, <laughs> if you could take back one off-season transaction away, I like this already, besides Miller and Vernon moves, what would it be? For me, I'd have to say signing Foster would be my pick. Ooh, this is a good one. Hmm. Told you. That is a really good one. You just had to take it, didn't you? You guys want to start with this one? I think all three of us should answer this one. I'm thinking Byron Maxwell in that trade with the Eagles. Yeah, yeah but you know yeah, what? We too. still got we still got Tunsil, and I don't think that would have I don't think that would have factored but, in. 
But here's what I was thinking the other day. I, I understand that DeMarco Murray's uh, contract was pretty uh, pretty high, but how – I mean, could could they not have discussed that with the Eagles, Kiko and DeMarco for – you know what I mean? Yeah. They could have made that switch and ended up – they could have got Tunsil on top of that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, yeah, it's just I, – I know with, with the trade that we got, it's kind of hard to see how that it would be different if Byron Maxwell wasn't involved in that trade. But yeah, I just don't I want mean, to here, here we are. Absolutely. Here we are week five, and he's benched, and we're playing Tony Lippett. So yep. what the hell is his value to this team right now? So um, it would have been nice if maybe we switched with uh, – Philadelphia maybe in the third round for Kiko or something like that and yeah. maybe still take Tunsil at eight. That's still okay. Um, and then, you know, we just didn't feel as, you know, we don't feel as bad <laughs> getting a total waste of a player. Yeah. I, I think I'm going to say, you know, this really wasn't a move per se, but I wish the Dolphins were a lot more aggressive with the CJ Anderson contracts so of the Dol- uh, Broncos wouldn't match it or couldn't match it. Obviously, they had a lot of money freed up when they didn't uh, sign Brock Osweiler and he left for the Texans. But I think if the Dolphins had C.J. Anderson right now, it would be maybe a two. I think they would have beaten Seattle, to be honest with you, and I think they would have had a really good shot at beating New England. And, hell, even against Cincinnati, I think a good running back on this team would change this team completely. Uh, And even not Lamar Miller, because Lamar Miller – there was a stat on Twitter that he's had the most rushes without a touchdown in NFL history, I think, um, if the, the, through the first four games of the season. So, you know, that's kind of alarming. You know, Lamar Miller is a nice, nice shifty running back, but he can't carry the team on his shoulders. And we saw that in Miami. We're seeing that now in Houston. Uh, but I think C.G. Anderson, that guy is a bell cow. He is a workhorse. He would have changed this offense completely. I don't know, MC Money. I don't do this very often, but I'm going to have to disagree with you because yeah, um, there too. you played fantasy. You played fantasy football last year. You know what C.J. Anderson did with a Denver offense last year. Um, what would he do with a Miami Dolphins offense whose uh, offensive line has consistently been pretty horrible at opening up running lanes for a running back? He's not the kind of guy that's going to make people uh, miss in the lane. He's more north and south. So um, I don't know how much benefit that he would would have brought to Miami Dolphins based on what we were offering him. Um, Obviously, we need to prove the running game somehow, but I think he would have been a complimentary piece, not a focal piece. Um, We we have to get a focal piece in here. Um, So here's hoping that this 2017 running back classes as heralded as everybody was making it out to be uh, going into this college football season. Cause we could sure use a, a bell cow running back. And that is, that is a fair assessment and a fair statement. We have anything else on a live thread going on right now. Any other questions? Uh, yeah. yeah. Your boy, Rob Carruth said, uh, sent a question earlier in the day on Twitter about why aren't they playing the hurry up offense more seeing Tannehill plays better in that scheme done that since he's been here is a personnel problem uh for me i just think it's getting in a rhythm and i mean if they come out and run and hurry up offense and they're rushing the ball they're they're getting two three yards here on first and second down either way Tannehill's still playing out of uh he's still trying to make a play on third and eight and i think that's ultimately the problem is just not getting those, those big games or the chunk yards on early downs to set them up in uh, favorable situations for third down so 
for me, I don't know that it would make any bit of a difference. I think the Dolphins got to continue to stick to their game plan. They got to continue to try to run the ball. Like Sutton said earlier, they only attempted 13 rushes on Thursday. I mean, you can't win an NFL game running the ball 13 times. I understand whether or not they've uh, had success, but to sit there and throw the ball as much as they did and to only run the ball 13 times, I think uh, I, I do think Tannehill's more effective in the hurry up. Whether that's whether that's something with him or not, I, I'm not sure, but I think they do got to stick to the run, and I, I'm not sure it would make much of a difference. The thing with – someone had an interesting point with Tannehill in the, in the hurry up, why he's so successful. Uh, they, because it's basically a one-read offense when you're in the hurry up. That you get sense. to the line, You get to the line, he doesn't have to read the defense. I really think he has trouble reading the defense. And I think that's why that we see him a lot in the shotgun as well, because he has a trouble dropping back and reading the defense at the same time, and it's something to be concerned about. So you think there's a kernel of truth to the coaching staffs of, you know, before limiting his pre-snap responsibilities? I I can see why now. Yeah. They did that. Um, I can also see Tannehill has made quite a few great adjustments at the line as well. So, so, you know, it's, it's really, you know, it comes back to, you know, we don't really know. We're not in those rooms and we don't, we don't know. It, it's hard to yeah, tell. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a tough call because, like you said, he's made seemingly good good um, pre-snap reads. And you would think if Philbin really didn't like Tannehill that much and he liked uh, Derek Carr that much that he would have had Tannehill fall on the sword and given him all the responsibility that he needed and shown the world that he was going to fall on his face. I mean, that was going to save his job. So that's why it's, it's curious how – that all played out given the information that we know now. Absolutely. All right. Anything else on a live thread? Nope. Nope. Don't see anything. All right. Let me jump to Twitter before we move on to the Titans. Uh, Rob Carruth is following up and Rob Carruth is trying to take over the show and hijack us right now. He says, wouldn't running the hurry up, keep them from getting into third and long scenarios. It's done correctly. In a perfect world, yes, but also we've seen with Chip Kelly, Rob, that when the third and the hurry-up goes wrong, you put the defense into an even worse position. So it's really a give and take here. Uh, well, and I, think, and I think the hurry-up works better when you have, like, two consecutive drives of ten plays each, you know, balanced with run and pass. I think then when you can get into a little bit of a flow, even if you only get field goals with those two first drives, at least you have enough momentum going that a hurry-up offense is going to keep that defense off balance and you've already had success, so you, you're not really going into it thinking too much. I think Tannehill goes into some of those third-down situations having to just think too much and process too, in, too much information. He just needs to go out and play. Good point. That is certainly a good point. And maybe they do come out and more hurry-up more against the Titans. I did like what they did against the Bengals with the spread offense the first drive. I was disappointed they didn't go back to it because they had a lot of success with it that first drive. So, I don't know. They're, they're, everyone's feeling each other out. And don't get the wrong idea when I say feeling each other out because that's not what I'm talking about. Um, you mean really, feeling each other up. Yeah. That too. Um, yeah. You know, chemistry. Chemistry needs to improve across <laughs> the entire team from coaches back to play. Um, All right. Yeah. Oh, boy, you guys are awful. <laughs> Dolphins first Titans Sunday, 1 p.m., Hard Rock Stadium. 
Will Hurricane Matthew impact the game? We don't know. We will find out over the next few days what the plans are. We've seen instances like this where games have to be moved because of weather. Usually they move it to either a neutral site or they move it to the visiting team, and they still call it a home game for the team that flies over there. So the game could get moved to Tennessee. They call it a home game for the Dolphins, but obviously that's not really a home game. So we'll have to see what happens with that. Brandon Albert mispracticed today. He was sick. The Dolphins sent him home. Jordan Cameron was sent to an independent concussion specialist out of state, I believe, in Pennsylvania. I don't think we'll see Jordan Cameron again this season. I do think his NFL career is sadly over, but the guy has battled concussions over the past uh, few years, and I just hope he gets well for his sake and for his own personal health. Jelani Jenkins, as I mentioned, came in limping to the facility today. He is not expected to play on Sunday. Koa Misi practiced with a neck brace. Yes, I said that. Koa Misi practiced with a neck brace. Obviously, no heavy hitting today and no tackling. Like a Brian, like a Brian Cox. Yeah, like a Brian Cox. I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that guy was great. Um, yeah. And, and uh, Mike Pouncey was back at practice today, and they'll monitor his progress throughout the week, but he is likely to play, even if he's not at full strength, uh, because I don't think Anthony Steen is going to play either. He was still off to the side today as well. What do the Dolphins need to do, Sutton, to get back on track against the Tennessee Titans? Uh, We need to get the ball to Devontae Parker. Um, Last year, when we demolished Tennessee, uh, defensive line totally tore them up, but um, at the same time, we made some made some plays in the passing game and the Titans passing defense still seems to be uh, uh, below average. So um, I, I think they're going to target Jarvis Landry in terms of scheme wise. Uh, so I think we have to look at getting the ball in Devontae's hands, uh, whether that be in intermediate routes or deep down the field or what have you, but let's get the ball in his hands. Like we talked about earlier, five catches in the last two games. We need more out of our first rounder, um, we need him to step up. That's how this team is built right now. So if we're uh, going to have any success this year, we need Devontae Parker to step up and, and be a true number one or number two option for this team. Are you there? Yeah. Can you give your, can you give your thoughts about the offense? Oh yeah. On offense, I think we need to run the ball. Uh, Jay looked good. Kenyon Drake looked good on uh, Thursday. Granted, in many attempts, but for me, uh, the Dolphins got to run the ball if they want to have any. Uh, if they want to beat the Titans on Sunday. So for me, I, I kind of agree with the running backs. Adam Gay said they're going to stick to just a few. I, I will. I'd like to see. I would like to still see Jay Ajayi get in there with Kenyon Drake. I think maybe the thunder and lightning aspect going on there. I want to see Devontae Parker get more involved. They need to get him more involved. They need to stretch the field. I would even, uh, I don't know if I would, you know, go deep the first drive of the game. You kind of want to get into a rhythm there and, and keep going and, and get that, get a few first downs under your belt. So I don't think you want to really waste the play there, but they got to get other guys involved on the offensive side of the ball. Get that running game going, really push it. I know they kind of forced it there against the Patriots a little bit, and they had success late in the second half uh, going up against them, but really just moving along there. And, and getting in the right direction with all of that and getting Ryan Tannehill into a rhythm and relying on that running game throughout the game. Before we move to the defensive side of the ball for the Tennessee Titans, we have a caller. He's BB, a new caller, but a familiar name to the show. 
wants to ask a question about the Miami Dolphins. Keith, welcome back to Finsider Radio. What's up? Uh, yeah, uh, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. So, um, <laughs> Love it. Really Where's, my bell? Where's my bell? <laughs> <clears throat> you guys actually have a bell for that? No, we don't. We could just well, pretend we That's disappointing. Go ahead, Keith. <laughs> I actually don't that have a question. A, that's I, a I, at a bell. I mean, that's that sounded probably more like a bird. But... more like a freaking bird having a seizure. Yeah. It'll suffice, though. I knew what he meant. So <laughs> I, I don't take offense to that. You know, the the intention was there, okay? You know, I gave <laughs> I it pre- my best. I appreciate it. So oh, I actually okay. don't have a question. I uh, I called in to talk to James, and then he just said, like, well, hey, let me throw you on air. And I was like, well, I mean, I don't really <laughs> want to go on air, but, I mean, here I am. So... <laughs> um, <laughs> So have we gotten to the part yet where um, it's amazing that uh, all the Tannehill talk this week has really bailed out the defense because I feel like so many people are talking about how much Ryan Tannehill sucks. And, I mean, he does suck right now. But their defense is absolutely atrocious. And, like, you could play a drinking game for every time they get beat on a shallow cross, you have to take a shot. You die by halftime. You you would die by the first quarter. (laughs) It's bad. It's frustrating, too, because you know it's coming. On third down, too, I mean, every time they just they get smoked on that. So that's been the really frustrating thing for me. But the one thing I don't really understand is you have, I see all the – I just recently started going back on Twitter a little bit, and I see people are just losing their minds over the whole Ryan Tannehill thing. I don't really get it because this is a prove-it year anyway. It's either you, you know what you have and you go on with it or you, you move on from it. So I don't really understand why people are freaking out there. I was I didn't have high expectations for this team making the playoffs. Um, the Sam Bradford deal gives me hope that the Dolphins, should they move on from Ryan Tannehill, can get a decent uh, return for him. I don't think I mean I don't expect to fleece him for a first round pick if they choose to do so, but you could get something for it because I mean there we've seen teams like Cleveland. You saw Arizona holding its breath when Carson Palmer got dinged last Sunday. I mean like quarterback is something where. Uh, some teams have it, but they're on the edge of not having it, and some teams just are far from it. So the and Dolphins want to where, move on. And Keith, sorry to interrupt, but that's kind of where um, the allure of Ryan Tano comes into place because he's inconsistent. We never thought that would be like work out in our favor, but just the fact that he's shown those monster games and then turned around and had some awful games, you, it gives coaches the uh, – that little seed that they might be able to get the most out of him, and that might just be enough to get the most uh, trade value from him if that's the route we decide to take. For sure. I totally agree, and I think that, like, when he hit that bomb to Stills the other night, that's something that, like, if Bruce Arians, if Carson Palmer gets hurt and Arizona doesn't want to have another situation where they're playing with Ryan Lindley, and then I think, like, they, they see that Ryan Tannehill can throw the ball downfield as long as they stay off Twitter and they don't read what Miko Grimes has to say. They might think, like, yeah, we can work with this guy. It can um, work out. They might be able to. But, again, like I mentioned earlier, the real question is, can they pay him $20 million and still field a competitive team around him? You know, that's really the big question. I do think they could win with him. But as far as the money goes, that's a whole different story in the business side of the, the NFL. I think we've yet to see the identity that Adam Gase is really going to bring to this team. And that tends to happen when, when you take on a half unit. And I mean, you got guys, a lot of guys in there you didn't bring in 
he's got a lot of Philbin guys in there. And I mean, so you're kind of asserting your will on a roster of players that may or, I mean, some of them are absolutely your guys. Some of them might encompass a few things you're looking for. And some of them they're just treading water with. Mm-hmm. So I expected that. And I think that probably the, the thing we saw Adam Gase talking about in the preseason, and you're seeing it really come to fruition right now in terms of proof that Ryan Tannehill is just too cautious. He's just hesitant on, on everything. So, and I think that that's ultimately what's going to cost him in terms of being Adam Gase's guy going forward is just that there's always, it's almost like he's with every throw, he's throwing to not lose. And there are some exceptions. He made some throws in New England where I was like, wow, that's gunslinger type stuff. And he was putting in, in windows that were just vapor lock tight. But for the most part, there's always that air of caution with what he does. So, I mean, I just, I don't, at this point, I don't see it working out long term. I think that, uh, I think a team could win with him. I think he probably needs a fresh start. He's taken a beating on and off the field in Miami. So it might be in his best interest to go elsewhere too. And I mean, that's by no means just saying like, well, I'm giving up on the guy. But I do think that uh, it's been a lot in context. In, in terms of the quarterback position, context and atmosphere are so important. And that's why people are talking about, well, we could have had Derek Carr. You would have had Joe Philbin coaching Derek Carr. That would have been a disaster. Like when people talk about, like, Matt Ryan could have been our quarterback. What, so Tony Sperano still our head coach? Right. I mean, like, context matters. And you're seeing – you will see um, exceptions, Matt Ryan playing for Kyle Shanahan right now. But Kyle Shanahan's the perfect – offensive coordinator for a guy like Matt Ryan because he's going to emphasize that X receiver. He's going to spread things out a little bit, but he's going to play to his strength. Whereas you, for a while there, you really saw Matt Ryan lose a, his identity. He really didn't have one. People made fun of it because he doesn't, he doesn't even throw that great of a deep ball. That's the funny thing. His deep ball looks like a soft punt, but he tosses <laughs> it up there. And I mean, like he's confident throwing the ball. And when you're throwing to Julio Jones, I mean, that's a big time, I mean, that guy blurs a lot of edges. So, he I mean, just, like, just get it to him. 500 yards. 500. Yeah. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's, that's just, like I said, context matters. <laughs> and I just think that – I think Ryan Tannehill probably better – I for the longest time I thought he'd end up going to Dallas. You know, a Texas kid goes back there. You know, now that Dak Prescott's in there. Uh, I mean, still, I mean, who knows, just because I don't think they're going to stick with Tony Romo. I don't think they can afford to with um, how much they have vested in the offense as a whole. So, I mean, I don't know. But this whole talk about, well, we could have Derek Carr. It's like, no, there's so much context to that. Derek Carr went to a great place for him. He's out on the West Coast. He played, you know, played at Fresno State anyway. So, I mean, like, he's comfortable out there. You would have had him playing for Joe Philbin. You're seeing – uh, Joe Philbin just has like negative Midas touch right now because he's out in um, Indianapolis and Andrew Luck is getting just beaten to a pulp right now. That offense looks like crap. And like, I guarantee you it's like Joe Philbin's in there. So Pete, you made some excellent points regarding Ryan Tannehill and, and everything else. Derek Carr, Joe Philbin, Tony Sperano. And we do need to move on to the defense, but I do thank you for calling in and talking to us for a few minutes. It was good to hear from you. I know you're, yeah, thanks, Steve. Twitter, so so good to see you back on Twitter as well. But you know, points like that makes makes us think about things in a different in different way and and everything else. And James, I know you're talking to him right now, and Keith can't hear me right now. But you know what Keith said was right. You know, people want wanted Matt Ryan, but Tony Sperano would have been coaching him. People wanted Derek Carr, but Joe Philbin would have been coaching him. 
and you can't you can't compare you can't just take someone out of a situation that they're in now and throw them in Miami and say they'd be just as successful. I know a lot of talk goes back to Drew Brees and Dante Culpepper. Would Drew Brees be the same if he was in Miami under Nick Saban? You know, I think he still would have been a great ball player, but remember he has one of the best offensive coaches in the game under Sean Payton. And obviously Sean Payton's record has been dwindling the past few years, but Sean Payton's a, an offensive genius. So it's really hard to say that one guy would do better somewhere else um, under different coaching. But Keith, again, thank you for calling in. Let's move now to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, let's wrap this up before we go into our predictions. How it's, what do you think for the defense against the Tennessee Titans? I mean, again, I'm going to go back to what I've been saying the last few weeks, stopping the run. Uh, Tennessee has a nice two-headed monster, DeMarco Murray and Derrick Henry. So if the Dolphins want to win this game, they need to stop the run and uh, force Mariota to beat them because – I mean, we all keep getting on Tannehill, and I know Mariota's only in his second year, but he, he does not look good this year under Malarkey. And if we can if we can stop the run and force Mariota to beat us, I think the Dolphins have a good chance of winning this week. Son, how about you? I mean, com- completely agree with Houts. I mean, I think that's the perfect game plan. You have to stop the run, uh, make Mariota pass, and make him beat us. Uh, so let's do that. But at the same time, uh, Cody Kessler looks pretty good against us um, in Miami with uh, a relatively similar crowd of uh, talented wide receivers and running backs and such. So um, it's – I almost want to go um, the opposite way and say our, our pass defense is the one that needs to step up and, and, and not be so lackadaisical. Maybe that's what allows us to be aggressive going into this game. And I think this defense needs to start being aggressive. And uh, the bend and break stuff was great last week, but um, didn't really hold up the first three or, you know, uh, week two and week three. So um, be nice to see the defense get a little bit aggressive this week. I would like to see the defense maybe not, not be as aggressive, although you are saying you want them to be aggressive, but I don't think they should be. I think I don't want to see them in the wide nine as much. I want to see them kind of go back to the basic, Four three and not make not have the linebackers be relied on so much to fill those gaps and shed their blockers um, because I think that is causing them a lot of trouble. I know they're not in the Y nine all the time, but I do think that mentality and philosophy of you know rushing the passer kind of seeps through throughout the entire game. So I do want to see the Dolphins go back to a more traditional defensive set. I want to see Tony Lippett, um, you know, continue to improve. And just a few minutes ago, Barry Jackson released a column saying uh, that Abdul Kudis may rotate with Michael Thomas in the backfield uh, along with Rashad Jones. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as well. Uh, the Dolphins need to focus in, like like you said, how um, focus in on DeMarco Murray and really stop him and force Mariota to beat them because I don't think he has the receivers to make it happen at home in Miami. All and right, this seems like the type of game where we can, we can bring our cornerbacks up and play that press coverage We've right. been wondering when this is going to happen. They're playing so much off-man type stuff. We have the bigger, taller cornerbacks. Let's see what they can do in press coverage. I mean, that's why I feel like we have them. Absolutely. All right, before we go to the predictions, let's just check the live thread one more time. Any more last questions that came in? I do see Griffin Van Nest, the most optimistic preseason guest at our record was 9 or 7 or 8 and 8 with most thinking more six and ten now after what we've seen the last two weeks. Is six and ten even realistic? 
Absolutely, Griffin. It is realistic. Uh, we've seen NFL teams just turn the remote um, to the on position and just kind of glide and thrive from there. I think Gase is just trying to figure things out and feel his way out with the Dolphins and seeing what works, what doesn't. I do think you will see improvement. I do think they get to a minimum of six wins before the end of the season. Um, anything else, guys, that you saw on here? No, and I will agree with you. I think six wins is realistic, and I yeah. will piggyback on that and, and say that I like what I've seen from Adam Gase so far in terms of a coach. I, that doesn't necessarily guarantee his job security or anything, but um, I like what I've seen from him so far, so I'm comfortable with him going forward. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'm going to piggyback on that piggyback. All right, well, <laughs> keep on piggybacking, and I wear piggyback you want to keep on piggybacking on. All right. Um, prediction time. What do we got going on? I'm going to start with you, Sutton. What is your prediction for Sunday? I actually think this is a game that we're going to come out and be a little more assertive. Um, I think we're going to see a little resilience out of this team, and I think you're going to see a 23-14 to 14 victory. All right, out. Yeah, I actually have written down a 27-17 Miami. I got Tannehill throwing for 389 yards and two touchdowns, just enough to make us question whether or not he's our franchise quarterback. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to go from setting Tannehill on fire this week on Twitter to crowning him the next franchise quarterback of the Dolphins. Absolutely. (laughs) That sounds just about right for Ryan Tannehill's career. For me, I'm going to go 35-17 Dolphins victory. I, I do think I'm not being a homer on this, even though I love to be a homer with the Dolphins. I, I don't see them losing this game. I do see them coming out and really improving. And the Titans are the perfect team to improve against. Uh, seeing the Dolphins make a little statement, and hopefully that momentum carries over to the following week afterwards as well. All right, thank you for joining us tonight on Finsider Radio. We greatly appreciate you coming in to listen to us talk about all things Miami Dolphins and, you know, banter and, and talk to you guys and interact on a live thread. Thank you again for participating and sending in your questions our way and your comments. We hope you enjoy the game against the Titans. Enjoy Thursday night football in just a few days. Enjoy the Sunday games. Enjoy Monday night. If you're living in Florida or down South, like our buddy James, be safe with Hurricane Matthew coming your way. Uh, we hope you, we hope nothing really crazy comes out of it. We hope that everyone is okay. I'm Matt Kanata. I'm joined by Sutton and Howitz McKinney in the background. Thank you for listening to Finsider Radio, and we'll see you next week. It's time to answer the call, little buddy. I'm talking about big beef, dislocate your jaw kind of wide. This, that, charbroiled unicorn boy, bacon, big pig, slab, cut thick, sizzling for shizzling on velvet sheet of ooey gooey. Ooh, a wild, wild western bacon cheeseburger. Carl Jr. I'm calling your name. Hey, I'm Anil Dash, and I'm the host of a new show called Function from the Vox Media Podcast Network and Glitch. This season, we're talking with experts about why our voting machines are so bad and how that might hurt our elections. We'll also talk with an animator to find out how popular dances from the real world end up in video games. And we're going to tackle the biggest question in tech. 
why do so many celebrities use screenshots from that Apple Notes app to make their public apologies when they screw up? You can find new episodes of Function every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Microsoft Azure for sponsoring Function. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts.